possibly the single most powerful verse in all of Scripture. It's originally 15 words in the Greek language. And yet, I can't honestly say that I have found a single text that is as profound as this verse. So, if you would please join with me in prayer, and then we will read the word of the Lord, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Father, may we praise you, for you are worthy. And I pray that the alleluias of our hearts would focus on the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, help us to have ears to hear this. Father, I know that I am not adequate. And yet, Father, so much in this simple verse that I believe is neglected among your people. And yet, Father, I pray that we who are here this day will drink deep into the awesomeness of our God, the awesomeness of your sovereignty. And, Father, be overwhelmed with grateful hearts in amazement to you and you alone, our King, Christ's name. Amen. Verse 21, chapter 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Basically, what we're looking at is what is the ministry? I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people say a lot of things about what they believe is ministry. Uh, when I think about ministry, uh, I can encompass it in one word that we've been looking at over the last few months. Reconciliation. Man being reconciled to a holy God. That's it. Anything outside of that and the proclamation of that truth is not ministry. I don't care what you call it. It's not ministry. I have but one thing that I offer the world right now that is of any value. That man in his fallenness can be reconciled to a holy, perfect, infinite God. That's it. That's it. And one of the things that I have watched, um, you guys know that I have this fatal character flaw of loving history. And one of the things that I have watched in history, my study of history, and, and uh, I, I don't have one little pocket that I say this is where I want to be in it. Uh, I like history. I like all of it. And one of the things that I have watched in history, and, and it's a common theme that keeps to recurring, keeps kind of sneaking back up, is that somewhere down the line, all of a sudden man tries to appease his conscience that he's not that bad. Okay? 
And, and, and it recurs. I, I, I don't care if you go with the Egyptian Empire. I don't care if you go with the Roman Empire or the Greek Empire or the Hebrew Empire, uh, the Chinese Empire. I, I don't care which one you take. They start off with these grandiose ideas and they try to explain to people that I'm not that bad, that we are not that bad. I have a few moral flaws because of my society. Listen, that comes all the way across history. It is not new. I can go back to the Noetic times. Okay, that would be the time of Noah. Not when we were all wandering around in tents. <laughs> That'd be nomadic. I said Noetic. Okay, and, and so I can go all the way back and we don't think we are that bad. And what happens is man will create a system where he takes God's righteousness and says, I'll put it right here and now I can attain it. Because I'm not that bad. You know, I'm, I make a few mistakes occasionally, but God loves me. It says, even your Bible says, he so loved the world. Okay, but if I look at every religious system ever, they all have that emphasis. That there is a way that humanity can appease God. You know, I can make peace with God. You know, through works, uh, by giving, uh some cases, they'll even do it based on, you know, an imputed righteousness from a relative. You know, my uncle was really good and he loved me the most. And he was really, really saintly. So I'm going to pick up on some of his saintliness, okay? Uh, and, and I watched this across time. And, and it does, you don't have to hang a name on it. I don't have to call it a religion. There's two. God reconciles with man or man reconciles with God. Okay? And I don't have a problem. If you want to go out and try to reconcile yourself with God, here's a standard. I'll just, I will make it as easy for you as I possibly can. Okay? I'm feeling gracious today. It's Father's Day. All I want you to do, one thing, and you will be reconciled with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just go do that. Okay? You don't have to do nothing else. Just do that. Okay? Because I remember reading Martin Luther used to get up and spend five to eight hours a day in confession when he was becoming a priest. Explaining to the priest... How he had not loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength the day before. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the old days in front of you. Okay? Because I want to share with you something. If you look at verse 21 there, we looked at this last week. He made. Stop right there. Okay? Because when I think about reconciliation and that now you are a new creation in Christ... Okay, that's what it takes to be reconciled. You're new. You're different. You're not of this world. I do not have the spirit of this world. I have the spirit of the living God. Okay? But I have to back down from all of that and understand that even though I'm an ambassador for Christ, making appeal, 
and begging on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God that He made. This is the work of God. This isn't man's plan. Only God could know what would make a sinner acceptable to Him. Only God knows. Only God knew. To satisfy God's justice. To satisfy God's wrath. See, I see a lot of people who try to live the evangelical life based on a plea agreement. Okay? Uh, I stood before God. We were sitting there chit-chatting. And, yep, I was guilty, but he lowered it to a misdemeanor. Okay? If God does that one time, he's no longer just. Did you get that? He's no longer just. You know, one of the biggest crises that I see in our country today is a lack of justice. Okay? And and it's growing. Okay, and again, go back to that flaw of loving history. If I've ever watched God judge and judge harshly, it's when a government moved away from justice. Okay. How does infinite holiness and an infinite hatred of sin be perfectly satisfied without eternally destroying the sinner. The penalty of sin is... Okay, and did I tell you that it was eternal? How can that be satisfied? And that's what we're looking at because verse 21 says, He made him. Okay, because God says, here's what my standard is. I cannot lower my standard. How do I accomplish this thing? God only knew what it would take to make a lawbreaker completely satisfied and acceptable before a holy, perfect God. Okay, now I want to show you a couple of things as we move into this, because we looked at last week and in depth, the giver. God did this, okay? And I can show you his motive behind it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. More than being justified by the blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Then verse 10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Okay? Still enemies. Did you understand that? He's not looking for somebody looking for peace. It wasn't like humanity was running around saying, I probably, it's on Sunday afternoon, I should be reconciled to God today. It doesn't happen. You were still 
an enemy. You were blind, naked, depraved. Depraved means found worthless for its intended purpose. You had no ability. There is none righteous. No, not one. None seek after God. I mean, I would give anything that the evangelical community would grab that. Because that is overwhelming. I didn't even have the ability to seek after God. I was his enemy. And yet, his love was so massive that even though I was an enemy, he sought reconciliation with us. And I tell you what, I cannot think of a single doctrine in Scripture that is more trampled than that truth. You couldn't make a decision for Jesus Christ even if you own a Bible. You can't do it. You're blind to it. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Okay? His love is so massive that He lavished on us all wisdom and knowledge of who He is and what He's doing. Because of His love. I mean, when I look at true hope, when I, I think about this little section is what I'm calling true hope. <laughs> little section. This verse. I call it true hope. And the reason is, God so loved us. Who has given to God that He should repay? None. None. And yet every world religion has a works and, and the basis of their works is the fear of God. And don't, don't get me wrong. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. You should be afraid. But what I watch in religion is that they make God to be this meanie and if you don't want him to be a meanie to you, here's what you need to do. And you know what? Paul says that's impossible. It's impossible. Most re every religion that I have ever looked at, God is mean and he is angry. And at best, he's just flat out indifferent. He just don't care. And yet my Bible teaches me that my God has such a massive love for me that even when I was his enemy, he had mercy and grace and wanted to reconcile me back to him. Religions today have a system to reconcile so that God will not destroy A religion, a system to appease a mean and angry God so that you can make deity happy. That's what they all are. 
I remember talking to a Muslim. And uh, we were talking about Allah. And, and I said, well, is there sin in Islam? Oh, yeah. We, we were on an airplane. We were hit. I, I was on my way to Memphis. I was by way of Dallas. And, uh, and I said, is there sin in Islam? And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's sin. He said, actually, I'm on my way to Texas to sin. And I said, well, there you go. And, uh, and I said, well, what does Allah... What does he think about sin? He hates sin. And he sends those to hell if they go sin. And I said, and you're headed for Texas. It's not, I don't know if those two mean anything or not. (laughs) I said, so you're headed for Texas to sin and Allah wants to send you to hell. And I said, well, how how do you... uh, how do you keep from going to hell? And he says, well, you just hope Allah will let you in. That's it? And he says, well, you know, I'm, if I got really close to death, I'm going to try to be really good so maybe he won't be mad at me. And that's literally the words he read, said to me. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And the truth of the matter is, you study the Quran, there is no... Guarantee of heaven. It is purely at the good pleasure of Allah. Okay. No, 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 no. Martyrdom does not guarantee you. I know that that's what everybody likes to think. But that's not taught in the Quran. Okay. It's not there. Okay. So it's stuff like that that you have to be real careful about. Because that's just one of the growing religions that are in our land. Why? Everybody keeps saying, well, it's growing. Well, yeah, it tells man that if you do these things, maybe I'll smile on you. Okay? So it gives you motivation. I remember a pastor who was solid in Scripture, and he kept teaching his people that you could lose your salvation. And I had to sit him down one day, and I said, I know from what you've taught you don't believe that. He says, no, I don't. I says, then why do you teach him that? He says, it keeps him motivated. You're like, well, there you go. Christianity, God is love. And the love is so great. He is Savior. You are not Savior. He is Savior. And He is not a God of hate. He is a God of love. And that love offers the gift of absolute, eternal forgiveness. That's good news, people. You don't have to appease God. You do not have to come up with a really cool plan of reconciliation. Okay? The gospel is. What did God do? And again, go Romans 8 or 6.23. The penalty of sin is death. Old Testament, Ezekiel 18.20. The person who sins will die 
It's not like it's a, wow, you know, I didn't know that. It's been around for a while. So when you think about God's standard at the moment of sin, the penalty is death, eternal. And if you think about it, I think about the Jewish culture um, at the time of the writing of the New Testament and even through this day. Most Jews spend most of their lives dealing with what? Sacrifices. I have to sacrifice something. And yet, all that does in the Old Testament is show the people how wicked they are. The penalty of sin is death. And you would bring a sacrifice of a spotless, unblemished, fill-in-the-blank animal to pay the penalty for your sin, to appease God. And yet God wasn't asking for you to give that animal to appease him. He was wanting you to realize that with all of that blood, millions and millions and millions and millions of animals slaughtered and the grossness of that coagulated blood. That's sin, people. And you know what? To this day, the Jews long for it to be finished. Why can't this be done? Be done with this. And yet, we read in verse 21, God did it. The Father did it. And you know what is amazing? It wasn't a reluctant sacrifice. Ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever been around animals at a slaughterhouse? Okay, they're usually, when you're lining them through the corrals and through the pens, they're really pretty mellow. Okay, they're just kind of going through the pens, following each other, head to tail, head to tail, head to tail. And then when the blood of the first one is spilt, uh-oh. <laughs> it's like the animals are like, whoa, you smell that? That's not right. And why are we following to that smell? It's true. You think I'm kidding you. I've been around slaughterhouses. And you know what? Them animals don't do a thing until that first one sheds its blood. And then it's like, uh, we're in the wrong line. Oh, we're going to feedlot. And yet Jesus Christ, he took off. John chapter 10 says, no man takes my life. I lay it down. Which brings me to point two. Point two in this text. And I'm only going to get part of point two in this text. Because it's really cool. Who did this? God did it. God made it. God designed it. God executed it. God satisfied it. And it says, he made him who knew no sin. Stop right there. Well, I don't know about you. I'm not a theologian. I didn't sleep in Holiday Inn last night. 
that really narrows the field, doesn't it? He who knew no sin sort of got her slimmed down. I mean, really fast. I can look at it at first reading and say, ah, not human. (laughs) Can't be human. Why? (laughs) Nope. Bible's emphatic. You were conceived in sin. Can't be human. So the pickings got slim. So there can only be one who knew no sin. And yet, if you think about it, now, this is this gets into this. You guys start figuring out how I think, and it may scare you. It has to be one who can bear the full wrath of God. But they have to be able to bear the full wrath of God for another. Okay, because he can't bear the wrath of God for himself and then come out of hell and bear it for another. Because the penalty of sin is death eternal in hell. So how does he get out of hell to come and pay for my sin? So it had to be one who knew no sin. No sinful sin person can be a substitute for the penalty of sin. No sinner could die for another sinner because the sinner has to pay the penalty for self. So it has to be a sinless offering. It has to be a human because I can take a sinless lamb and unblemished and spotless and kill it and it can't atone for man's sin because it is not tempted in all ways as a man. So it has to be a man who dies for a man. But it has to be a sinless man to die for sinful Man, to pay for the other's sin. Okay? Well, it's starting to thin out. I got it figured out. There's only one who is sinless. God. No problem. But it has to be a man. God is not a man. That is what God designed, and that's why you have to back up and say, He made him. Wow. Get it? Listen, you know, sometimes I look at this and I say, you know, in all common understanding, this is the basic foundational truth of salvation. And you know what? I'm surprised that very few understand this. I mean, we will say, well, it's a substitutionary death. Do you understand why it's substitutionary? You have sinless, perfect, infinitely holy, absolutely righteous, 
absolutely just taking on the form of man. An eternal being stuck in an earthen vessel, a clay pot. See, Joseph understood he was not his father. Joseph understood it. Because, see, here's the issue. He has to be a man, but he can't be born of man. What? If he is of the seed of man, he is of the line of Adam. And it was Adam who sinned. Okay? Eve was deceived. So it has to be born of the woman, but it can't be of the man's seed. Okay, how are you going to pull that off? How are you going to make that happen so we can be reconciled? You can't do it. I can't do it. Well, you know, they've got artificial insemination. You're still taking sinful man. You still got sinful man. There's no way around this. It's got to be 100% man and 100% God, and you and I have no plan to get that done. Joseph understood this. He was not his father. But yet he has to have a human mother. God the father, human mother, and so you end up what theologians call the God-man. Sinless perfection. Incarnate. And yet, I think about the Old Testament, and all it is is ripe with pictures of this. Remember, the Lamb is to be without blemish, spotless, perfect, no marks. It was a type, it was a picture of the coming substitution. The perfect man, a man to die for men. To be able to withstand the wrath of man's humanity. Let me show you a picture of it. Okay. Just in case. Revelations chapter 5. Revelations chapter 5. We are in the throne room of God. John's sitting in the throne room of God. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Basically what that is, is the title deed to creation. Okay, it's a legal document. It's got the seals on it. It seals each page as you roll it up. You seal it and you roll it and you seal it and you roll it. This thing's sealed seven times. Okay, seven seals, the title of creation. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Who is worthy to take the title deed of creation? Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look upon it. Hmm. Who's worthy? No one. No one. 
And I began to weep. Duh. Greatly. Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Now listen what he said. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth was able to open it up. You know what he's saying right there? No created being was able. No created being was able to open it. No created being was able to take back the title deed of creation. And one of the elders, verse 5, said to me, (laughs) Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Wow. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know what that means? A man. A Jew. But also note what he says. He is not of the branch of David. He is the root of David. You know what that means? The creator of David. He is able to open the book. He is the one who produced David. But look what he says in verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. Standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He took The title deed of creation. A lamb slain. Only one worthy to take back creation. Was born a Jew. Human in every way. But God in every way. He is the source of existence. Sinless. He is the source of existence even to the line of David. Virgin born God man. The substitute. Brothers and sisters, that is the gift. That is the gift. God made. That's the design. And God made the gift, the substitution that took his wrath completely for you and I. God's justice satisfied. For God's justice to be satisfied, do you understand that his wrath has to be satisfied? It isn't that God can say, well, I just won't be wrathful. He can't say that. His wrath has to be satisfied. And it was satisfied. In Galatians, Paul tells us that when the, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the law. The gift, he who knew no sin. Now, I don't know about you, that's a pretty powerful statement. To say, he who knew no sin. I don't think there's anybody in this room would say, you know, I haven't sinned today. I don't think anybody in this room can say that. 
I let alone say, you know what, I'm just age and I've never sinned. Really, I'll ask you one question. You ever been angry? <laughs> You're done. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't act out on my anger. Don't matter. <laughs> you know, when I, I think about the sinlessness of our Lord, uh, it, some of you, I've, I've, I've discussed before, you know, what is heaven like? You know, and people say, well, the you know, streets are paved with gold. Uh, it's never light or dark. It's just brightness, the kind of glory of God all the time. And we go through all of the pictures that we have seen of, of heaven. And the one that I just don't get is the complete absence of sin. Okay, I don't understand that. I, I mean, I can as theologically, okay, in the presence of God, there's no sin. All right. I don't know what that is. Everything I have ever known in my entire life has had sin involved with it. I don't care what it is. Okay? The beauty of our creation is cursed by sin. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Okay, so when all of a sudden I start looking at this individual who is sinless. He knew no sin. You know what that word knew means? Had no idea. You think about that? He didn't know sin. At all. In him, John says, there is no sin. And that Greek phrase means there was absolutely no ability for him to sin. I don't get that. I, you know what? I grew up in the trades um, and, and was in construction. And occasionally you would take your hammer and miss the nail. Okay. And after I came to salvation, God overwhelmed me that when I missed the nail, the profanity didn't roll out. I thought it was kind of cool myself. But you know what? It still hurt. Right? Use one of them waffle head hammers and you hit your finger, it's band-aid time. Okay? It still hurt. If the absence of sin there, you don't ever hit your finger and you're like, what? I, I remember a guy one time with a nail gun. He said, I go, bing it, bing it, bing it, he sets it on his thigh. Bing it. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's going to leave a mark. You know, hang on, I'll get a claw hammer and pull that out. That don't happen if there is no sin. Let me show you some things. When I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, you know one of the amazing things is? I bet everybody in this room, someone will testify, I've seen them sin. My wife laughs. <laughs> I live with him. I know. <laughs> okay. See, now you made me sin again. Okay. John's Gospel, chapter 8. We better keep moving faster. Jesus makes this statement. Which one of you, verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? 
If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? You know what that means? Who stood up? Who stood up at that time and said, I seen him do this. Do you understand he's in front of people who hate him? And he says, if I have committed sin, who convicts me? And you know what is amazing? Nobody said a word. No one can say, I saw him. No, you find that's fascinating to me. He stands before his accusers and says, which one of you convicts me of sin? And nobody can answer him. And you know what is amazing? They're even silent this day. They're even silent this day. Cruise over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 4. Standing before Pilate. Okay? A crook, a tyrant, a petty dictator. Okay? This guy is doing nothing but saving his political butt. That's all he's doing. Okay? Verse... Four says, Pilate, then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. Verse 14. Then he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. That's Pilate. He's a thief. He's ungodly. He's a pagan. He worships multiple deities. Verse 22. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. I'm going to punish him for nothing just to make you shut up. Verse 41. Jesus is crucified. It's hanging between two thieves on the cross. One thief looks and says, verse 41, And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The centurion, the leader of a hundred, who had crucified Jesus Christ in verse 47 says, Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Now, I want you to think about that because these are not believers in Jesus Christ. These are not his followers. These are antagonists. These are pagans. These are secularists. These are humanists. These are people who are haters of God and the things of God. And their conclusion was, He's innocent. He's innocent. But it wasn't 
just unbelievers who saw his perfection. His apostles did. John says, he, now you understand, John lived with him for day and night for three years. They kind of hung out together. 1 John 3, 5, in him there is no sin. Greek construction says he had no ability to sin. It's impossible. And John starts out his letter, says, we were eyewitnesses. Writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us be bold in our confession. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathized with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things as we are yet Without sin. Peter preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 3. You've killed the high priest of life. The holy and just one. Hebrews chapter 7. He was holy, innocent, and undefiled. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. Chapter 3, verse 18, Christ died, also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. There's the testimony of the pagan unbelievers. There's the testimony of those who knew him and who lived with him. But there's another one who testified of his sinlessness. Powerful testimony. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 17. This is my son, whom I am well pleased at his baptism, at his transfiguration. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 5, this is my son who I am well pleased. Here's the thing you've got to understand about the life of Jesus Christ. I and the Father are one. There was never any semblance of broken fellowship. Go to the Gospel of John Chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Chapter 14, John's Gospel. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. 
31. But so that the world may know that I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. Okay, that communion is still intact. It's always there. There's only one instance that that communion is broken. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? And that is when sin is placed upon him and God can't look at him. God can't look at him. In the Lord's Prayer, what I call the Lord's Prayer, or Jesus' Prayer, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 21 of that same prayer, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, and are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may know that you sent me verse 23 i in them you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me the unbroken communion with god listen if he's not human a man he can't atone for the sins of man he can't be a substitute you can't take a bull and substitute the sin of man on that bull. It's impossible. Think about it. So he has to be man. And yet, he has to be absolutely sinless. Which means he has to be God. Has to be God. 100% man. 100% God. That's amazing. I... I look at the evangelical community today and say, why do we not look at this with pure awe? God made him who knew no sin. We should be sitting around going, what? And then he took him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf. Why? Because God had to punish sin. If He doesn't punish sin, He's not just. If He doesn't exercise His wrath to its fullest, He's not righteous. So the only way he could do it was have a person who had the ability to pay the sin, pay the penalty for the sin of humanity, but they had no debt. Because the debt for sin is eternal death, and if you die to pay your own penalty, you can't pay the penalty for another. So he had to be a sinless being. It's either that or you punish the sinner with eternal destruction. Now look what it says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. 
And we'll have to look at that next week because I know what all the goofy translations of this are and they're all wrong. Sorry. And I need you to know when you walk out of here, Jesus Christ never sinned. Not even on the cross. And there's a guy out of Texas, I can't remember his name right off the hand, who said that, well, he went to hell for three days and was tortured down there. No, he didn't. He died on the cross, put in the ground, came out of the grave. And we'll look at this next week. Father, to your great praise and glory, I stand in awe of this text and I understand when my brother Paul says, who is adequate for such a task? Uh, I don't understand. And yet, Father, I am overwhelmed by this magnificent, awesome truth. Oh, Lord, give us who have ears to hear and eyes to see the overwhelming privilege of saying, He is my substitution. My sins are nailed to the cross. Thank you, Father. In a day and an age of appeasement, I pray, Lord, that your people who are called by your name will be overwhelmed with this magnificent truth and will stand in awe of the King of kings and Lord of lords. To your praise and glory. Amen.